Hello and welcome to the first of our Takashi Miike month recaps. Um, we opened there tonight with a little bit of Slayer. Most people would go for like, you know, the Rocky theme or something when they're doing like the inspirational music for like doing a challenge like we're doing where we're going to be watching 30 Miike movies in 30 days. But instead, I've decided to go with Slayer because it's more amping up movie and also a band I only just found out I'm really into. So, yeah. I'm obviously your host, as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, the Professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hi, everybody. Just to make sure everyone knows, Elwood's the one doing this ridiculous challenge. I'm just supporting him. <laughs> and, but, but I suspect I've seen all the films. So, uh, we'll find yes. out. But you're, 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 you're the madman who's, uh, who's going and through... And go for the belt. 30, 31 days That's of the thing. <laughs> go, we're going for the belter. They said that 22 was the record, and we said, no, we're going to just point out there in the distance, like Babe Ruth, and go, no, we're going to hit an even 30. So <laughs> that's uh, what we set out to do as of the first of this month. And we're going to be, each week, we're going to be just updating on where we are with things and. Basically, just a chance to go over the films, the Mickey movies that we've been watching, rather than just like piling them all onto our normal episodes because that would take up way too much time. And I don't think people really want to listen to that much Mickey conversation. So if you do, then this is going to be the show for you because all we're going to talk about is nothing but Mickey. Nothing but Mickey, right? Shall we um play ye- Yellow Pearl and <laughs> and start so the Yellow countdown? Pearl? That's it. At one or thirty were yeah. Yellow Pearl it used to be the theme song to Top of the Pops. Okay. Uh, by Thin Lizzy. Right. Okay, that's why. So, yeah, kicking things off, we had Audition from 1999, uh, the breakout movie for Mike. And I think it was like one of those movies I think everybody first got their first taste of uh, Takashi Mike's work. And as we said numerous times in the past, it led that whole revival of interest in Asian cinema alongside Battle Royale and The Ring and obviously Audition. The film with now the world's most spoiled ending, much like Psycho. And both films are best to watch yeah. blind, but good luck with that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it's also the film which we started this show. Um, not, not you know, that 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 episode of um, Our Bad Dangerous to Know Yeah, podcast, first uh, time we ever recorded together, which I will be put up on the That's feed right. um, as part of this month. Which was my first ever podcast ever. That I ever did. So there you go. So audition been a big part of my life since since it came out. Um, you know, it was as as you say, it was it was all part of that J. We called it J horror, even though that that's not quite what either this film or, or the whole movement was about. This sort of this 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 growth of extreme Asian cinema being available in the UK in cinemas and on video. You know, the age of tartan video. Do you remember that? That's what I um, came up with. The Yatan Asia Extreme and, label. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's, we, you know, I've watched it recently. I think Arrow, did Arrow do a, a nice yeah. Blu-ray? I'm pretty certain they did. And I obviously haven't watched it in the last week like you have. Um, but as far as I remember, it really holds up. <laughs> Definitely so. I mean, this is a movie that, that when it first came out, the book hadn't yet been adapted because the book was by Ryu Murakami, who's not to be co- uh, confused with uh, the other Murakami who wrote, you know, like Wind Up Bear Chronicle and Sputnik Sweetheart. Uh, Ryu Murakami is sort of like the bad boy Japanese literature. So it's a, 
it's a perfect marriage, really, to have the bad boy of Japanese literature team up with the bad boy of Japanese cinema. And Murakami had actually directed a number of films. I mean, he wrote books like Coin Locker Babies and In the Maizu Soup and Piercing and obviously Audition. And he was a pro when they were like talking about adapting the film. Mike really sort of pushed to not have him come on board to do the adaptation but rather he went to bring in um, someone else to do the adaptation with him so when it came to the script he brought in uh, Daisuke Tengen who is the son of uh, Mike's actual mentor um, the director who um, the director of Vengeance is Mine um, okay, he set yep. up a uh, film school which Mike attended to and he gave him his first sort of breaks and uh, Daisuke Tengen is actually his son he uses a pen name for his his own projects but um, he's gotcha. done a number of projects with Mike. he was a writer on 13 Assassins, he was also on Imprint, um, he wrote uh, for his father's film The Eel um, yes. his father being uh, Shoei Imura um, and it's interesting when you look at the book and the comparison because the, the the film itself doesn't differ too far from the book, apart from when it gets into into sort of like the the end sort of sequence. Because in the book, um, the whole scene where he's having his feet removed is actually like this homage by Murakami to Stephen King's Misery, where you, um, where the writer has his feet hobbled with a sledgehammer. Hobbled. Yes, first time I'd ever heard the phrase hobbled was when I read yeah. Misery. <laughs> um, Use it all the time. So right? yeah, in the in the in the book he loses both feet. In the script, um, he loses neither of his feet. And Mike comes to this real interesting compromise of basically just saying, "Oh, we'll just lose one foot," and then everyone's happy. <laughs> With one of the greatest moments in cinema, where the the foot is thrown away and hits the glass door with a I didn't realise that. I mean, I completely forgot about that scene until I went and did this this recent rewatch, and then it just like really stood out to me that particular scene. Um, I mean, we've spoken about this before, but this is Mika is most restrained. It is a really, it's 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 almost a it's almost a, a sort of a drama, a really dour drama for so much of the running time, with just a couple of bits of. Mike weirdness, a couple of shocks until that end sequence where it's just so mad and crazy but still controlled and you know tick 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 and oh it's it's just so memorable and interesting I guess that that's how you know I'm pretty certain that was the first Mike film I ever saw I can't believe there'd have been any reason for me to see any other any any way I would have seen any other Mike film, yeah? Until until that was released over here. But I remember I remember the review in Hot Dog magazine. I I, I remember <laughs> I just, just it's it's such a pivotal film for me. I try to remember if I wrote that one because <laughs> I, I wrote for Hot Dog <laughs> that that time. <laughs> it was only it was only about forty words long. It was just a little one, but I just remember thinking, Oh my god, there's this chat and, and and I got a copy of it. I got a copy of it I don't even know if I got it. I I may have even imported it and not got the Asia Extreme on, but I got that and Ring and the Grudge, and I just hawked it around all my friends to say, look at these amazing films I've seen. Now, I didn't actually like the Grudge. I still don't like the Grudge, and that may be a film we should talk about 
on a podcast sometime because I want to give it a rewatch. But The Ring and Audition just blew me away because they were just I just I just went on these journeys with them with the ring there was this fantastic website which is a resource and turned out there was loads of ring films and remakes in Korea and stuff and then with Mikkei there was about another 30 films he'd made little did we know <laughs> that was gonna go to over 100 and then there's loads of books got written at the time um Obviously, <clears throat> Jonathan Ross got a second wind because of his interest in Japanese culture. This, Yeah, this, it, it changed the world. Changed the world for me, anyway. Yeah, I think it definitely opened up a door which has never since been closed. And it really sparked that whole sort of boom, which unfortunately led to the demise of Tartan, because uh, they missed out on a couple of releases to Optimum, who also went south. And thankfully, we now have... A key group of companies like we got Federal Window Films, we got Terracotta, we got Arrow, who are just uh, continuously putting out more and more interesting titles as we've seen um, with like Sailor Suit and Machine Gun, uh, which is uh, on the horizon. So, and you know, and and and, and yeah, Arrow did like a recent, a recent, and yeah, you know, at the time I joked, oh, not another version of Taylor Two Sisters, but I think well, they've put out the definitive version. Um, and to find that, that film's over 20 years old, maybe it's time and, and going back and looking at it and being able to look at it not on a shitty Hong Kong or Taiwanese DVD that I might have imported or gone and bought when I was out there to actually see these films. Um, obviously, Mike films on a whole, you know, pretty much everything he does comes out over here now in some way, shape or form. But yeah, luck- luckily we have those three and people like 88 films who are still giving us stuff new stuff to watch and also stuff that we might have missed last time so okay that's audition that was easy what do you do for number two i was two? just about to say before we uh, moved on um we also found <laughs> out that um there was a, a sumi action figure that was in the works that unfortunately never got past the concept stage oh and you even got like a man in a sack if you go on our Instagram page oh, um, or our Twitter feed or our Facebook page, um, we've posted it up there, but it was this concept art and it was sort of like, in the corner it says, ticka, 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 ticka. <laughs> but you've got like, um, like the wire, you've got like um, all these different little little toys that uh, come with it. And as I said, you got the sack. Um, uh, her sack man was like a soldier's a bonus figure with it, so... That's a that's a real that's a real shame that it is a shame because sure I would both, we both would have had I would it. love to have it on the shelf <laughs> along with my uh, John Waters Funko Pop. Um, <laughs> I have seen that on on. I'm on your yeah. Feed, yes. I've uh, now I just need like a Tom Wolf or a Hunter S Thompson or an Orcafina Funko and then I can have my lineup. I'm sure. Well, I'm sure one there will be a Hunter S Thompson one. Although maybe like li- li- uh, licensing his likeness may be an issue. Um, Aquafina doesn't have one for Shang Chi. She has one for Shang Chi, well. but I, again, I don't want a Marvel one. I just want like Aquafina as as a Funko, yeah. or at the worst, like Aquafina as Nora from Queens, because then she would have like the top which hat is... or something like that, which would be really cool. So, second season's just come out. Has it? Yeah. I'm so happy because yes. now Kim's convenience is finished. Yeah, I didn't think it was getting one, but yes. Didn't think it was getting one, but no, new, new first few new episodes have appeared. Let me just say online, but I'm sure they will come to. However, they should be seen very soon. Oh, good. 
Oh, I know what I'm doing after this. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I think the first four episodes. Oh, fantastic. Out, yeah. Um, so yeah, obviously audition kicked us off. Then I went on to a film that we are going to actually cover in more detail later this month as we recorded a podcast on it, and that is Rainy Dog from 1997, the middle part of the Black Society trilogy, originally known as the Shijuku Triad Society trilogy, uh, but now it's known as Black Society trilogy, which is made up of Shijuku Triad Society and Ley Lines. Um, two films that I will be looking at as well at some point this month. But Rainy Dog is another of those films that sort of like really stood out to me in those early Mike viewings. And it's very different as well than the films it's sandwiched between. As it basically follows this Yakuza um, hitman who's been basically exiled to Taiwan and now does hits for hire to make ends meet and at the same time he's constantly homesick so he watches like gamma movies to bide off this homesickness and try because he's trying to find a way to return home to make matters worse he's then saddled with a son who's basically dumped on his doorstep and he spends a good portion of the film ignoring um because he's mute and he just follows him around like a stray dog uh even while at one point he shacks up with one of the local prostitutes who he forms a magical relationship with as Mikei chooses to pepper this film with magical moments like the all too mentioned um, scooter that they find buried at the beach that also somehow works but um, it's a slower paced film especially for one of his Yakuza efforts uh, but it's very minimalistic very minimalistically shot as well and it it's one that will go either way you either like it or I think you have issues with it but no, Rainy Dog, um, it, it, it's one worth checking out, certainly. Yeah, obviously, um, go and have a listen to the Rainy Dog episode when it comes out. Um, but yeah, it's it's it was the first time I watched it, and I wasn't expecting it. He, he, it's set in Taiwan. Most of the dialogue's in um, Mandarin, <laughs> which is a bit weird. And um, it uses Who Sell Sends crew so it's like a very unmike film in many ways but then what is a mike film as your 31 days are going to show the man is not not really uh, stuck in a single genre which is a shame because everyone always talks to him about him as being extreme or a horror director he's maybe done three horror films ever and yes well he has a lot of extreme stuff there's an awful lot of fairly straight dramatic stuff as well which which i think rainy dog is part of but yes we should be careful not to give away too much otherwise people won't listen yeah um next up we had from 2014 as the gods will this was a disc that was a bit of a pain in the ass to get hold of because it's only available in region one because it was put out by um funcomation in the us but not the uk so you have a couple of options of getting hold of it. You can either import the Blu-ray DVD combo pack and find yourself a multi-region player, or you can go on to Funimation in the US and use your VPN or other creative means to check it out that way. But um, it's a shame, really, because this one's actually really fun. It's... Um, Based on the manga of the same name. Yeah, it's one of his. Yeah, it's one of his manga adaptations, isn't it? Yeah, it's. Uh, as I say, it's based on the manga of the same same name by uh, Winuki Kaneshiro, and there's actually three books of of the manga, so it does actually have an ending in the manga, which the film doesn't. 
it just ends. And it leaves you on a pissing cliff. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I imported this a few years ago from um, from Hong Kong or from Taiwan. can't remember where from. Just advice, everybody. Never import films from Japan. They rarely have English subtitles. Always go for the Hong Kong or Taiwanese version. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. It's... Um, it feels very contemporaneous with Assassination Classroom, those films with the big smiley face tentacle creature. Um, it felt very much in the same vein, although it's more nuts. <laughs> it's, it's, and it's got some really fascinating visual stuff going on, but then literally just ends. And when you said you'd seen it, it was like, oh, did they, did they finish it? Oh, no. No intention of doing so. And it's a real shame because it's... As enjoyable as it is, it just comes to a shuddering halt. I mean, there's the cinematic world is full of films that never got the sequel that they were leading up to, but this one just feels like... It just doesn't feel complete in and of itself. And it was also at a time where loads of films were being done in two parts, the whole Harry Potter thing. Um, like Assassination Classroom, actually. That was one of them, wasn't it? That was, um, that was done in two parts as well. Um there was just a whole bunch of films that seemed to be two-parters and, and it never turned up yeah I mean this one uh, sees a bunch of high school students basically being forced to play deadly versions of children's games um, the opening one sees them playing uh, red light green light one two three um, against a Daruma doll and every time that he turns around and sees someone move it causes their heads to explode in like a shower of marbles which is a really fun visual, especially the guy who gets his head blown up while giving the thumbs up. Um, but again, I really enjoyed this one. I think it's it's got a lot of fun things going on. It's got some very obvious CGI in it, but again, it's the CGI that we see in Asian cinema, so it's got that real sort of warmth and presence to it compared to when we see CGI in the West. Um, and it's either like really good because the studio invests a lot of money in it, or it's just garbage like you know the asylum or anything the bbc to put the hands to um and it's just like i'm very clearly watching something very cheap um <laughs> it's um it's also contemporaneous with sion solo's tag which has a not an identical premise at all but a similar sort of idea about well school kids being put through the ringer of some bizarre games um oh, also like battle royale i suppose but, yeah it's um, sort of like i should say it's like you mentioned already it's like assassination classroom and death bell was like the comparisons mm. that i wanted to draw to it mm. um we also get to see um hikamori uh one of the characters is as well which is another fascinating mm. um subculture of japanese culture that i just am obsessed with which is just these young people who just refuse to leave their rooms uh, or their houses and basically have their family look after them by bringing them things. And it's um, We have a word for that here in the UK. Yeah, it's it, called being a bum. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's a shame, this one. Yeah, I, 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 like I said, I imported it back, back in the day. Um, and I, I think I imported a couple of Miko films that he'd done that year. Um, I won't say what they were, because, well, what I'm, the one I'm thinking of, because I'm pretty certain you're going to cover it in the next 31 days. But um, fairly days, but... and I was, I can't remember that. Yeah, I can't remember the the name of it. Okay. It doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, it's a shame. You, it's so hard to get hold of. But like you say, get yourself a VPN. 
Yes, I think that's the it is the way because you know film rights are just the bane of the film watcher. Mm. Um, and because it, and maybe because it doesn't have an ending, it's not very, it's not very exciting for someone like, um, uh, what was the name of those companies? Terracotta or someone to bring it over. So I, maybe I we can we we'll get hold of uh, some of Terracotta and that and just like go, you know that Mike movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as a reward for doing these thirty days, can you import as the gods will? <laughs> that, 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 that's what I'm going to. Uh, that's what I'm going to use as my bargaining chip. Uh, next up, we had another adaptation. We had Ace Attorney, which is just super, super fun. This is in 2012. Um, normally, when you do video game movies, filmmakers have this real issue because they try to bring video game worlds into the real world where Miki goes the opposite direction and tries to make the real world into a video game which means that everything that happens in the video game essentially happens in the film um, the film itself sees Phoenix Wright who is at this point still a novice lawyer who with the film covering the second and third cases of the first game I want to say so if you own a DS and play these yeah this Let's just let's just this isn't to, into some context, right? This is an adaptation of a Nintendo DS game. I know all the games are available on phones now, and the Nintendo Switch has just done a they've just done like a remastered, reimagined version for the Switch. But this came out on the DS. This is this is incredibly popular, certainly in Japan, and I know it's got its fans in the West. But this is not something that you'd imagine would be anyone's first choice for a video game adaptation um but if i remember i put it in my first 50 films when we did our original top 50 list because i freaking love this film (laughs) it's very daft um and you're seeing characters with anime hair and you see like Evidence like appears in huge screens above characters and a flooring across the room, and this idea that objection, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you see, it's weird because you've got this real sort of sl- this real sort of like slapsticky sort of humor to it, and at the same time you've got this really great courtroom thriller happening as well. Um, and the fact that you've got like characters who dress like French noblemen, and you know, got Phoenix right on the who's like constantly buried under this like pile of papers so he'd like be he'd flash over to phoenix and he'd just like for this amount of papers to just like pull something out and just start waving it around and yes i mean he's obviously got the slightly unfair fantasies get psychic assistance from the uh psychic mayor but um i really as i said i really enjoyed like the whole current procedure i mean it's got a weighty runtime but I just really wanted to be more more in this world. I was just really invested in it. So there's a there's a pretty good anime series of Ace Attorney as well to be fair. But this is just a, this there are quite a few live action animes and a lot of them are fine or disappointing. This one is just marvelous and like you say you just I, I'd love there to be a sequel. I'd love, I, I really would love to come back and spend more time. This is a perfect melding between different creative people, you know, the, the same way 
that Mike just got it absolutely right with Audition in adapting a book. He's adapted a computer game, and I think this is one of his great skills. He does marvellous adaptations. Even, you know, The Happiness of Katakuris is, an, is, is a cover version of um, The Quiet mm. Family. And he just does a marvellous cover version of it. He just decides to play completely different instruments. But in this case, it's just a really spot on. He just, I don't know, just put a wonderful film. How do you, how, how were you able to see this? Because I don't think this has been put It's out on Amazon. West, has it? Yeah. Is it? Oh, marvellous. Um, the Amazon is really frustrating because they, they list a bunch of titles and then they say, not currently available. Which is just really annoying. It's sort of like, just remove it from your search engine if you don't have it. Don't give me that not available nonsense. But it is um, available to rent on there, so. But, um, yeah, it's another one definitely worth checking out. Um, I think you'll have a lot of fun if you're a fan of the game. And if you've not played the games, it's very accessible at the same time as well. It quickly brings you into the world, and you're, you're, before you don't, you're sort of up to speed with the many quirks of this world, so. Um, and then rounding off this current recap, uh, we have Dead or Alive from 1999, uh, which is a film we've covered previously on the podcast. And it was a film that when it first came out, I was very excited about. And I think because in those day, days of like the early Mickey releases, it was sort of like unlike anything you've seen before. So you kind of glossed over a lot of the flaws of the films and now coming back to it and seeing what else he's done. Um, the flaws are a little more evident, but I enjoyed this this particular rewatch of of the film, and is it? It's also at this point you realise just like how many films Mike puts out a year, because in 1999 he has his breakout film with Audition. At the same time, he wraps up the Black Society trilogy with Ley Lines, and then he starts another trilogy with the Dead or Alive films, um, which. Uh, basically, his chance to work with regular Miike players, Riki Takeuchi and Sho Akira. Uh, Sho Akira was in Rainy Dog, and Riki Takeuchi was in Food of the New Generation, but both of them have been in numerous Miike films. And with this trilogy, it's like all Miike trilogies, it's a trilogy of themes and ideas rather than reoccurring characters. And the thing with the Dead Alive trilogy is that you've got these two actors who are basically battling them each other across different timelines, um, constantly playing different characters in different situations. With this first film seeing uh, Takeuchi as a street folk whose gang are making a move from the Shinjuku district and trying to stake their claim. Um, at the same time, you've got Shoako, who's a detective who's had to borrow a large sum of money from the, one of the Yakuza bosses to pay for his sick daughter's treatments. And the two characters are basically on a head-on collision to each other as their worlds are set to collide. And whenever I talk about this film, I always describe it as like, what would Heat have been like if directed by Mike? Because the films are startlingly similar when you compare many of the plot points. They're very much the same in as the on Heat. It's just the one... This film is a lot less tedious and has one of the most jaw-dropping six-minute openings of all time. Um, it it really. I mean, we've done an episode yeah. on this, haven't we, already? But yes, the, the, there's two overwhelming memories of this film: that opening six-minute six kinetic, um, just joyous piece of cinema <laughs> that that opens the film. I I can't remember if. 
interrupting a woman filming a bestiality porn video is part of that. That's no, that's um, that comes later. later uh, the it? opening basically has a woman fall off a, a building. This is the opening seconds before having drugs torn out of her hand in like this rainbow of coke. We then see like Yakuza hits. We see uh, Takeuchi on a motorcycle looking badass because he's always in black with sunglasses and his big hair. And we see arterial blood sprays. We see Yakuza hits. We've got strippers. We've got clowns. We've got knife throwing. We've got Marlon Coke snorts. It's all soundtrack to this like pounding guitar. Uh, rift where it's all like dun 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 and it just seems to like build up as it goes on before we have one of the gang basically goes into this strip club gets painted up as a clown goes on this board that's then spun around powered by a guy in his underwear on a bicycle that then so whatever reason turns magically into uh Takeuchi who just like sits there with his trademark frown <laughs> Yeah, it it's marvelous, and, and obviously, in the, and then there's the end, which is a display of one-upmanship that I don't think we'll ever see in another film at any time. Yeah. <laughs> um, to be fair, it's it, it it's fucking ridiculous, <laughs> and, and uh, maybe shows a film that's run out of ideas by just blabbing some more ideas at the screen. You say that, but but at the same time it's memorable. Like, Takeuchi and uh, Ekawara are both like such big stars that it's like Mike can't decide who should come out on top, so it's sort of like oh, script, destroy the world. (laughs) And I just love it in the trailer for for Dead Alive 2, it's sort of like a miracle at the dawning of the new millennium. And it's like, no, you just can figure out how to end the film, Mike, so... Um, yeah, it's 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 a goodie. You've watched some goodies so far. It's yeah. I mean, it's obviously I wanted to do Dead Alive because I didn't want people thinking, oh, we're just gonna hang out in the post Outlaw years because I think this is this is mm. the the thing with Mike's movies. You got the period up until really around like Free Extremes and like Each of the Killer, which is sort of like the Outlaw years as defined obviously by Tom Mez in his book Agitator. And then we've got the post-Outlaw years where he becomes a little more mainstream and does things like like 13 Assassins and Sword of the Immortal, um, like Ace Attorney, Yataman, these more lighter sort of movies that have elements of Mickey's old films in them, but at the same time they don't go as hard as these uh, early films do. And I think Dead or Alive is real, real example. If you want an example of like what the outlaw years were, then this is like a prime example of it. But we say and we say that, but at the same time, you obviously got things like Bad People in China. You've got um, the one I can't remember now. The one you said that's like the Quiet Family. Oh, the yeah, Happiness of the Categories. which yeah. is also in that period, so. <laughs> which is. Which is also bonkers. Um, yeah, I mean, he's 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 not he's not he's not a. I mean, he, he's always been a gun for hire. Um, you know, even Rainy Dog, you know, clearly was a. You know, it was, it was a studio film that he was asked to do with a crew that wasn't his and a country that wasn't his. Just but um, he's always been capable of doing that kind of work. But at the same time, there is this. You know, as Tom Mez talks about. And still talks about there is this 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 line where he is doing also these films which 
are just so Mike <laughs> that, that no one else is doing. No one else is doing anything like this at all. And remember, and you described his early days, he doesn't come from, you know, a lot of these more off the wall directors cut their teeth on Pinku films, but he never did that. I mean, he, yes, he did go a lot of straight to VCD stuff, but he he's he's just he's just experimented on first principles, you know, um, just and just made the films. I guess he just makes good films really quickly. <laughs> yeah, he's been able to stay and work because of it. There's a if you watch like the special features for audition, and would you if you got Arrow Player, they're on there as well, and they were like talking about does Mickey ever turn down a project? And he says that I do turn down projects, but the projects I choose to do is because I can see something that interests me in them, which considering he makes like eight films a year shows that there's a lot of things that interest Mickey when it comes to filmmaking. Well, I think that was, that was it. His pop. I think there has been a year and he made eight, but he, he normally puts out one yeah. or two, but yeah, there have been years with eight, six, five, you know, even even more than one is more than most directors manage to do because the work's still getting pushed at him. Um, there is an argument to say, is he stifling other directors? Um, there is a there is something to say. Is exactly how much effort is he putting into some of these films? But it's and also some of it is you know he's obviously got his his creative crew around him. Um, but he still puts out great films, as I hope you're going to find. I hope it's been an interesting first selection for you. I don't think, yeah, I mean, you've brought Ace Attorney as the God's Will, which I think a lot of people wouldn't have picked as their favourite Miko film. So you're already dodging about the old CV. It's yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm at the mud going for what we got to hand. I mean, there's a couple of films I've seen there before already because we're obviously in the tail end of the summer holidays as we're obviously recording this. So. Once the kids are back at school, it's sort of like, right, we can start looking at some more stuff that um, I'm not so familiar with. I mean, I've got a lot of stuff in the that I think a lot of people have seen that I haven't seen, like, you know, Yakuza Apocalypse, um, Sword of the Immortal. And then there's other films that I'm just really excited to revisit, like 13 Assassins and um, is it like Shinjuku, Western Django and things like that. So... Um, which I might say for like the day when I'm just like really on a hump and it's all like I don't want to read Japanese subtitles anymore. I just want a film where they just speak English. Um, that's <laughs> yeah. what I go on to keep in your back back pocket. Although I think it was like day three, I had like the worst migraine, and it was like great, we're hitting the lump already. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and um, over the course of this month, we are actually doing this as a fundraiser to raise funds for Marvels and Meltdowns Family Centre. Um, so you can donate through our Just Giving page. I will put the link on this episode, but we've also got the links on the on the Instagram and the Twitter and the Facebook as well. Um, every day we're posting up reviews as well for these movies, so you can um, get an idea of whether these films are any good, maybe add some stuff to your own watch list as well. So, uh, But um, yes, already we are 
We had set out with a aim to raise £100 for Miles and Meltdowns and can we work 40% of our total. So thank you to everyone who's donated already. And as I said, uh, if you would like to toss a buck into our donation pot, it would be more than greatly received. Um, the great thing about Just Giving is that it allows us to gift aid as well. So you get about 10% extra charity for free. You don't have to pay for it. The government gives us extra money just because it's gift aided. So... Um, there's that added bonus as well. But um, yeah, all donations will be greatly received and they will be going to help support the Miles and Meltdowns Family Centre, which is obviously a cause very dear to myself. So, But that's it for this first block. We have now five movies... Sorry, we are six movies in and we have got six minus 30 to go. <laughs> 24 is the word you're after. 24 to go. So if you want to recommend something, if you want to throw some demands my way of what you think I should be watching, then please do let me know and we will do our best to try and track them down. Um, and we will try and get them covered in this 30 days. But as I said, there's over 100 films to cover. Not all of them are available to us here in the UK, but uh, we're going to try and diversify it as much as possible and not just like go for a bunch of safe titles and um yeah it'd be interesting to see what we cover when we come to our next recap next week but uh thank you for listening and uh if you haven't done already please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to listen to us check out our main show Jason Simmer Film club also check out our breakdown of uh, battle royale the battle royale podcast as well uh which is drawing to a close as of this episode we just released episode 19 focusing on the third man and his hack so um, I hope you uh, check that project out and um, enjoy a deep dive into the wonderful world of Battle Royale. But until next time, thank you for listening. And uh, please, if you haven't done already, please do night to our course. And uh, thank you, of course, to Stephen for co-hosting with me this evening. It's a pleasure as always. But until next time, good night.